You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Fraser, and I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today, I'm your host. Welcome to this episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast, the latest in our ongoing series where we talk with tech leaders across Australia about topics like culture, scalability, and challenges. As ever, we have a cohort of industry experts who are excited to share their thoughts and insights with you. So let's get into those intros. So Navdeep, who is the Head of IT Enterprise Architecture at Country Road Group, tell us about yourself. Hi, Fraser. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, I'm Navdeep. I look after the architecture team at Country Road Group. And I've spent almost two decades in the retail and technology, lived across four or five, five different uh uh, countries and travel a few others. Uh, live in Melbourne with my family, my wife, and two boys. And looking forward to this conversation today. Awesome, great to have you. And uh, Dr. Pete, the CTO from V2 Digital, tell us about yourself. Hi, Fraser. Hi, everybody. Nice to uh, be on the show, by the way. So thank you for the invite. Uh, so look, yes, uh, my career spans multiple decades, and I've got more grey hair that I choose to uh, look in the mirror at. <laughs> <coughs> I've started in uh, in academia a long time ago. Was a games developer, um, and then ended up going from building some software and video games to these days running large scale transformations and uh, moving people into the cloud. So it's been quite the journey. I've been lucky enough to work uh, for some of the hyperscalers like AWS and Microsoft, um, and now I'm back in V2, which is uh, essentially a small to mid sized consulting organization. We've been around since about April this year, um, and we're based across Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Awesome. Right. And last but not least, by any means, Amir, the head of technology at Local Agent Finder. Tell us about yourself as well, mate. Hey, Fraser. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Amar, I'm here with Local Agent Finder for almost a year. I started my career as a consultant, worked with massive companies, but also small startups, worked with American, UK, Indian, all kind of uh, companies, smaller, bigger. Um, these days, I'm focused more on overarching technology strategy looking after internal IT, architecture, cybersecurity, ML data, pretty much everything under the umbrella. Um, living with my wife and a toddler here at Melbourne, uh, got a decade and a half in experience. And if you're comparing hair, I've lost all of them. Uh, not to put that into context, but yes, that's additional color. Uh, fantastic. And I think uh, your description of what you do there actually pulls us perfectly into what we're talking about today. So Following on from our latest exchange episodes, which coincidentally, if you haven't listened to yet, uh, I definitely suggest jumping in and having a listen after this one, of course. In this episode, we dive deep into the dynamic world of technology leadership. Today's topic is one that resonates, I imagine, with most tech leaders in Australia and across the world, and that's the challenges faced by tech leaders in multifaceted roles. In the ever-changing tech landscape, leaders often find themselves juggling a multitude of responsibilities, from technical decisions all the way to team management and everything in between. So we'll explore the unique challenges they encounter, including insights from our three industry experts, and uncover strategies to thrive in those multifaceted and ever-changing roles. So... Whether you're an aspiring tech leader or a seasoned pro, this episode will be packed with valuable insights and practical advice to help you navigate the intricate pathways of technical leadership. So let's dive straight in. And uh, 
Uh, first up there is Nev Deep. Let's uh, jump in and have a chat to you, mate. I believe you wanted to chat about uh, or even take a step back from tech and discuss the people element, one of the many facets that often get overlooked in a technical role, uh, and then taking that a step further, building a psychologically safe environment for those in your teams. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Fraser. And uh, 100%, 100% aligned to this idea. And I, I do not remember when this shift happened. Yes, I have started as a technologist and stayed as a technologist for a very long time. Till probably over the years, my mentors trained me into tech is easy. It's people who deliver the tech that are the more crucial factor. And this this goes uh, straight into my experience in retail. We always talk about customers and in the same context, customers don't feel tech. Customers feel people who use tech to serve them as an experience, whether you're talking about Google, whether you talk about a physical retail stores, anywhere in the country, anywhere on the globe. So this is where my focus uh, for the last few years has been more in terms of people. And what last few years has taught us, I do not want to use the words we do not want to use uh, after what we went through. The resilience is the most important factor that is becoming prevalent. And my my view in the multifaceted roles of leaders is to engage with people. And whether those people are customers, whether those people are our internal stakeholders, or whether those people are our partners who are delivering products and services to us. And of course, the far most important are the people who work with us, especially our teams and uh, squads or tribes. We can we can go into those terminologies. And this, this is where I see uh, over the last few years, uh, from my personal experience, uh, we have tried few experiments and few uh, practices within the team as our engagement score keeps growing so does our performance and our engagement score grows when we focus on certain aspects and they are not related to technology at all um uh, culture amp uh, is uh, one of the tools a lot of organizations here use they, they measure engagement and they've got nothing to do with people's skills and uh, strengths whether it is social connection, whether it's involvement, engagement, the feedback and recognition, leadership, collaboration, there's a whole parameters. And every time we look at it, it has got nothing to do with which degree, which which university, your total number of years of experience. So this is where I would say the, the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity both present together on how do we work with people. And there, there are various tools and techniques that could be applied. My favorite, uh, if I borrow from Project Aristotle from Google, is psychological safety. Uh, those who have read it, uh, uh, or those who haven't read it, I recommend reading about the project. It talks about five key patterns which emerge in terms of uh, teams that perform well, and psychological safety is the underpinning for the other four. And as long as people are working well, I believe the challenges become less and everyone can solve technology issues. Computers listen, computers do, and it's uh, the teams that come together to bring value to us, to themselves, and to the stakeholders. Yeah. But like you said, uh, one of my favorite quotes in this space is, working with silicon is easy, working with carbon is hard. I love that one. I'll, I'll take note of that. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, and and so, do you have any strategies or, or ways that you sort of that you sort of create that environment, or, or like we were saying before, the sort of the psychologically safe environment that you put into practice to be able to make that happen, and with your teams and sort of where you are? Uh, absolutely, I probably would say that's much easier than than we thought initially. And the more the more I learn, it's the more authentic we are. The more more vulnerable vulnerable i always struggle with this word the more vulnerable we are the easier it is for us to connect together mm-hmm. so sometimes telling in front of my teams and that i have no idea or the words which we don't use start with f a clue about uh, anything we are talking about and i need help and it's easier when you're a leader in the room because you are uh, on a position of authority. Um, however, it's also difficult because we have been taught to come out as a strong, assertive, the most intelligent. The growth of a leader comes through based on being very smart, performing really well, excelling on, on your uh, job and responsibilities. And then there comes a point in time when you're responsible for a lot of people or a lot of aspects. Uh, Amar talked about architecture, strategy, security. It's not humanly possible for anyone to be good at all those. Mm-hmm. So uh, Amar mentioned about a quote. I do not know who said it, but I love that one. If you are the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Uh, so it's from that perspective, being open to that, yes, I do have my weaknesses. The moment you start doing that one, people can bring their whole self to the game. Uh, I know we talk about personal lives and we talk about professional life, but under the hood, there's only one life. It's very hard to switch off if your kid has won a prize and they're going to pick up a trophy later in the evening, no matter what, it is on your mind while you're working. And even certain things which are not so good, they will stay there. So as long as we provide that environment where people bring themselves fully, and you yourself show or role model that one. It starts creating the openness and the psychologically safe environment, which helps people asking for help. Uh, if I can share an example without naming, a uh, few years ago, one of my team members was going through a very difficult time and they did not want to share. The day they shared with the broader team what they had been going through, the entire team jumped onto it and say, okay, you go and look after the things you have to look after and we are going to look after the work. And this starts creating an environment where you can count on uh, each other. This is one, it's easier when you're a team and you're a team of architects, you all think alike, you you, you feel alike. Uh, uh, however, having the same conversation with stakeholders, I've had situations where I've gone to my stakeholders and say, you know what, I'm I'm struggling to do this work or it is difficult or we have lost a person, we don't have the skills, we need to go out. People are more than willing to understand, listen. So that builds trust. And the moment that builds trust, I know that it's it's not forgiving, it's more of an understanding which comes into play. And and I've, I've, I've had stakeholders who come back and say, don't worry about it if this thing is running late, I can wait for for another week which in the past when I was a young manager, I don't call it as a leader, when I was a young manager, I was always trying to, uh, till the last moment, was struggling to get things done at some point in time. You hide it and then when things blow up, people don't like it. So the trust factor starts helping where you can provide a, a forward notifications. 
and even the other areas when when you're doing really well people people appreciate so it's not bragging it's not uh, boasting of things so building building that uh, part really works well and within the teams i have seen the social connection uh, is really important and which has worked really well we had a meeting every week and this has been the practice for the last 10 years we have got a meeting every week there's the only one agenda we carry is as long as it is not related to work you can bring it to the discussion and people will talk about the garage automation mm. people will talk about the the dirt they're trying to remove from the backyard people will talk about the horse riding their kids are doing at the grandparents farm and it it builds that it builds that connection and 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 then next week you talk about it it's it's really energizing and it helps you unwind uh from the day to day i got the question though what's yeah. been the most interesting story that somebody brought to the table mm-hmm. garage automation's <laughs> one i'm sure you got a gem somewhere oh i've got plenty of them uh-huh. and uh probably i'll get into the confession mode but people have talked about the, their 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 college days and things they have done or 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 people who have uh, worked at KFC and taken the leftover chicken and sold it to their friends and <laughs> and and sometimes and sometimes getting the stories about their working their work experience where they think oh that's not how you do things and people are like is that illegal you know it was acceptable in that country and uh and it it works so it's it's amazing in terms of and not those uh, there there are other things as well we figured out uh, uh people who play music we figured out people who love stitching we we figured out people who have been uh having bees and they have their own bees and then they produce uh, uh their own honey we we missed those things out and uh and and it's it's such a small thing it's a one hour of conversation every week but it it works wonders for us so if i would say one one part is where we get to know each other beyond our work responsibilities Yeah, right. I think the one thing that stands out for me there is uh, you're in a tech leadership role, but one of the roles that you have within that is uh, you're also a team leader or or yeah, a leader of people. So it's not just leading the le- leading the technology side, it's sort of actually knowing who's in your team, sort of what they're going through, what's exciting in their lives and everything. So you can actually be part of that internal group instead of being outside of it, which I think it's something you hear about leaders that don't lead as well as they're not actually part of the unit. They lead from the front but they're off the side in a little tent that has nothing to do with what's going on with the regiment or whatever. Yes. So I love that 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 extra element that you put into it to Oh, really before I hand over Yeah, before I hand over maybe, maybe the other part which one of the team members complimented as as a practice was uh, feedback and recognition and that also being absolutely honest. Mm. Uh, can a candor in in the feedback and recognition. uh doesn't matter what goes into your systems and your annual review results and whatever goes into the system is different uh but it's more about uh, regular feedback and recognition uh when i say regular it's as close as to be on the spot uh if it's a recognition it's on the spot and if it's a feedback you do it soon after that conversation uh that helps a lot in terms of uh building that trust and perfect right Well, I think that takes us uh nicely over to Dr. Pete who was going to talk to us about uh I 
something that I don't know much about, which is cognitive dissonance and, and how that's found in sort of his role and roles that he's had before and how that sort of impacts that sort of the number of things that needs to be done. So Dr. Pete, take us away. Uh, look, thank you. And look, I guess for those who haven't come across the term very often, um, look, cognitive dissonance is this idea where you've got, you know, two or more ideas in your head that are actually in disagreement. And, you know, when you think about being a leader, you often end up having to make really interesting choices. Are you a manager right now um, doing a performance review or are you leading from the front, as Nadeep was just saying earlier? Um, and that needle goes back and forth pretty quickly depending on your role. Uh, some people choose to stay in one character, you know, the manager or the leader or even a mentor. Um, and I think it's it's kind of really important to call that out because um, we all end up with cognitive dissonance, you know, the, the lockdowns. Um, and, you know, the social impact, and I call it the, uh, the world's greatest social experiment. And I think uh, there were some really interesting books written about the social, social and uh, children impacted uh, as a part of this era as well, which I think will have ripple effects for many years to come. So I think future leaders are certainly going to be influenced by the ch early childhood experiences. And mm. when I think of those moments, I think about life in interesting stages where I kind of think about, as humans, we take a long time to learn, and that's the, you know, the exploration phase of our life and then later in life we exploit what we've learned so it's like there's this two two-dimensional side am i exploring or am i exploiting uh what i know and i think that's a great example of the having that cognitive dissonance where you know you go into a leader manager uh exploiting what you know or are you going into the i'm exploring and learning about this and that that again navdeep's comments earlier are spot on around that vulnerability. Look, I don't have all the answers. I don't know, but I'm asking you, my team, um, I'm going to tap into the hive mind of everybody because everyone's going to have some great ideas. And, and as a leader, I like to speak last um, and go around the room and um, hear from the youngest person or the most junior person in the room. And you know what I tell my team is, uh, look, I don't have all the answers, but uh, I'll probably change my mind four or five times before it was time for me to speak. Um, you've all influenced my thinking. And in that team meeting, I've learned something. And that's a really important thing because we always end up learning. So as leaders, the challenge we face is, you know, and I think politicians are really stuck in a really tough scenario as a leader because we don't allow them to change their minds, right? Mm. And we change our minds as we get more input, more data, uh, more understanding of the environment. Whereas if you're a politician, you go, I'm committed to X. It doesn't matter the world's changed. There's a, there's a, there's a, you know, it's on the brink of war or we're going to the moon or what have you. Um, they have to stick by that opinion or, you know, they get voted out. So I think as leaders, especially in tech, um, it's really interesting because scale plays a huge role as well. You know, you might be a, a team of one when you're in a startup and I've been lucky enough to be in, uh, run my own startup, uh, run my own business and then work for, you know, AWS and Microsoft running hundreds and hundreds of people in the organization. And the principles, I think, are still the same. You've got the cognitive dissidents trying to figure out, you know, opposing ideas or, the business wants you to do something and your family life's taking you somewhere else. That's cognitive dissonance as well. And trying to, I guess, play this really fancy balancing act of, you know, where do I put my calories? Where do I put my priorities? And how do I follow through on them? How do I keep those work-life balances in check so I don't work every day and forget about my kids? Um, or vice versa. You know, we've seen more recently, you know, silent quitting where people are choosing me over the employer or work, which is cool too. I'm not sure how far it's going to get us socially, um, but certainly I think, you know, if you look at tech and where it's all going, you know, AI is also really interesting. Um, I've actually been using it for the last couple of years. And one of the things I've been doing, and I'll give you a real life example, 
Um, my son was uh, sneaking behind me one night, trying to steal my phone. And then I found that he was trying to get my phone so he could activate ChatGPT because he needs a phone number against his account. And I said, okay, cool. Here it is. We've activated. And I said, we're going to do your homework with ChatGPT. His face lit up. It's like, cool, this is going to be so much fun. Um, and we did the work in about you know 30 seconds. And he's going, oh, I'm done. And we're going, no, you're not. And we actually went through and took his assignment and said, now, what the story was written, let's write it from the point of view of the bad guy. And then write it from the point of view of how would your teacher assess your assignment? Mm. And I think, again, that cognitive dissonance plays a big role there. If we are willingly and consciously choose to have different perspectives of an argument, we can argue with ourselves. And I think AI is a great tool to help us negotiate with ourselves. Um, you know, show me a different facet of the thing I'm looking at. Um, it's going to get us to hopefully a better place. We'll get better decisions. You know, I keep joking. If you have a room full of, you know, if you have three archi- well, two architects, you end up with five decisions, three, seven. Um, I think it's really important to look at the diversity, the different perspectives, the different facets of how we approach problem solving. Um, and as leaders, I think it's kind of our responsibility to um, facilitate that, get people consciously thinking about it, even feedback. Um, you know, I keep saying that feedback should be like a mu- like muscle memory. You don't give it once in a while because if you get growth feedback, you generally don't doesn't feel nice. But if you get f- feedback every single day, um, hopefully, when you get that occasional growth feedback, you're not going to take it as badly because you're used to giving and taking feedback. So if it's muscle memory, you can build some amazing high performance cultures as a result. So yeah, I think look, cognitive dissonance, having different perspectives, arguing in your own head about what you're trying to do as a leader um, certainly adds to the stress sometimes. Um, but I think it does help us to be better leaders. As long as that argument doesn't come out loud and so you're sitting in your office yelling at yourself about trying to make a decision, then uh, your team might start to get a little bit worried. Yeah, well, I, I did have a story where I interviewed someone <laughs> who did that to themselves. Uh, so oh. obviously they weren't hired. <laughs> and it was quite an awkward, awkward scenario where the guy started to argue with himself. But yes, absolutely. Definitely. Did, did either of you have any questions for, for Dr. Pete there around uh, sort of cognitive dissonance or, or anything on those lines? And probably, uh, you go yeah, probably I can add to that one. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, again, uh, more old school thinking. If you if you've read Edward de Bono, it talks about the same thing. How do you make sure you look at the same thing with different angles of oh, which different was, hats, right? Uh, different hats. Yes, uh, yeah. yes. I was about to get into the hats, but not not a lot of people uh, have read about that one. But yes, it, it does help in terms of the positive and the emotional aspect and the cautious aspect and the data supported data and the creative data you, you look from that perspective and to, to your point it makes the decision far far better because you come to the conclusion that even if data is not supported i'm doing it because my heart says so uh but yeah and and you can accept your your bias towards wherever it is so it it, it works really well thanks for sharing yeah and just just on that actually yeah one thing I've learned from Jeff Bezos, by the way, and uh, was there was this thing where if you have data that tells you something about, you know, metrics, performance, but then you got anecdotes where you are yep. seeing things for yourself in the flesh or in the field, there's a leader hopefully at the front of the pack leading from the front. Yep. If those, do, those two don't match up, choose the anecdote yeah. because you're probably measuring the wrong thing. So on the data side of it, um, it's a, it, yeah, that was an interesting, profound thing for me. I, I, I now use it on a regular basis. Cool. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, this brings into the aspect of 
how do you facilitate decision making as well as a leader as a multifaceted leader it is hard it is a very big challenge just to identify what kind of audience you're dealing with and then how would you facilitate decision making in terms of inclusivity but resting your opinions in the end and letting the silent voices the quiet ones speak as well in terms of bringing fresh ideas to the table and and that's a challenge in leadership itself as well um the other one is emotional intelligence which both of you picked up on right so psychological safety is very much first being aware of what this group needs in the first place right does it need more directions does it need me just facilitating conversation or it just means first brainstorming sessions or if, and or what will this what ticks this group because i sort of work with a very diverse kind of group from non technical stakeholders to very engineering oriented people to people who are just focused on getting the outcome based on ROI and working and interfacing with all three four different kind of groups is very different so having that strong emotional intelligence understanding and empathizing with what their motivations and needs is is extremely important and one of the key challenge of this role as well because i'm in one meeting and then literally switch off and then switch to another meeting with a different set of group and i was like okay my my conduct will be very different with this group so and that's one of the key challenge I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really old lady when I was a kid that uh, gave me some really good advice. She said, you've got two ears and one mouth. Mm. should listen twice as hard and talk half as much. Yep. And I think that's probably a good recipe for being a leader because uh, you want to collect those weak signals from every team member, give them a chance to speak. Um, and if you go into a meeting and you know the boss starts to tell everybody what needs to be done, no one really gets a chance to to, to question it, right? Correct. Um, but if you if you ask open the questions, um, if you tame the internal advice monster where you tell everybody what you, they should be doing, yep. even though you probably mean really well, um, that advice mo- ad- advice monster will probably uh, yeah, come out all the time. And uh, um, and I use that as an example because uh, I actually had my leadership team in a couple of places actually go and do the box of crayons training program. Um, so check that out. And that's what I actually talk about the advice monster, which is I'm stealing it now for, for this example, but it's this idea of uh, ask open-ended questions, ask how you feel, yeah. how's, what's your reaction to the situation, and just hold back on giving advice until you've actually asked for, um, and then ask questions that aren't just specific to the, the problem, like, you know, what else is there? that's bothering you other than at work, right? And that's when you hear about, hey, my kid broke his arm or, you know, they broke the window playing basketball and, you know, my wife just called me and uh, I'm all stressed out. That's the stuff you don't necessarily get to pick up. Um, but on the emotional intelligence, uh, I also used to do this, uh, like I should do it more often now, but um, I've got a new team, so I'm still trying to, uh, to to fall into my groove. But I used to take the uh, the pulse and the pulse was, how are you feeling as you go around the room in the stand-up? Out of five, top of the world, three, you're probably under a bit of pressure, but you're getting there. And if you're a two or one, you should be back at home hugging a teddy bear and, you know, in a fetal position and not at the office. So that also helped. And uh, what I found was interesting is uh, the team would actually jump into each other and go, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Uh, Not just in that meeting, but also outside of it. And I think too often we talk about what we're doing. Uh, and not enough about how we're feeling. Um, and I think once you combine those two signals together, the EQ and IQ, as I call it, um, I think you start to get to get some real intimacy with your people. Yeah, yeah. So- I, I agree, Pete, that works brilliant. We we do it under the banner, of, we call it as an NPS. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, in retail, we always call it as a net promoter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we call it what is our NPS as a team. And where do you stand? And people, people will move from between. Uh, we we do it uh, scale of one to ten because that's what we love. We do it with our customers. 
So yes, it, it really it really helps. Yes, it, it it does absolutely. And we used to do something similar. So we used to do a sort of a Friday as a tool for uh, weekly surveys on how each team member is feeling. But I also conduct in my one on ones. Uh, Culture Amp also has this very nice feature where in a one on one template, I request all. Uh, the people that I'm catching up with to fill in there, how they're feeling across a scale of well-being, impact, relationships, uh, but also work-life balance and growth. So, and based on their uh, every weekly sort of input, we sort of tailor the conversations in that direction. So it gives me a very uh, quick pulse check because one of the principles I personally follow in work, even in life is optimized for learning, right? And it, it speaks to both of the points that you brought in, right? When you optimize for learning, whether it's new knowledge, whether it's how your end users are using something or even your employees, you keep that open mind. Even in your architecture and design, I'm sure Nadi will speak to you as you would build something and deploy it to market because you want to learn first and fast from the feedback from the market of how your end users are perceiving it. So you always optimize for learning, new data, new outcomes, new usage patterns. You, you keep that learning mindset ignited wherever you go. And that has always helped me is to spread that within the culture as to is this going to give us clarity sooner rather than later? Let's do it faster. Let's do it first. Great. Get get unknowns out of the door. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, I think that uh, rounds us out there to to uh, you wanted to have a chat to us about the techniques and solutions that you uh, that you use and that you're seeing being used to manage the challenges that come up. Uh, so take us away with that. Sure. So. So the key, one of the foundational thing that you have to maintain in sort of a multifaceted leadership role is continual learning. The, the The world around us is changing, but a bigger challenge around us is it is changing in all 10 different dimensional, multidimensional way. So how do you keep up with all of that? And in itself is how do you manage your time? So what do you pick as to you have to do it yourself as an individual contributor versus what you could delegate to? So a combination of, is this a task or a problem for me to solve? Or is it something I could delegate it to someone else so that I'm b- building the future leadership and the future decision-making within the organization as well? So identify the DGL and delegates and then optimizing your own time to figure out what problems are worth solving by myself versus the team or the department elsewhere. Because in this sort of multifaceted roles, there is no choice as a single choice. It's sort of a mosaic of different decisions combined together that will have a ripple effect across the organization. So every choice is a combination of multiple things. And and this is this is where the key challenge is, is to how do you ensure if you if you do not optimize for security, the performance should not go down or the other way around, right? If you open up too much for user experience has to be too free for all, how do you not open up holes within your own architecture or design and application as well? And and balancing all of these out, but also explaining it to different users as to, I'm going to tighten performance here because I would want the flow to be less free for the, in the other area. And having those conversations and that stakeholder management is a challenge in itself. So effective communication, effective delegation, time management, but also delegating effectively are sort of the key pillars that keep me on top of the right problems to be solved at the right time by me versus the ones that I could empower my team and build my team as to give them sort of guardrails, but also safe space to try, innovate, learn, but also learn from the experiences as well. Because early in my career, when I used to you know jump on every decision, 
what I learned afterward was I was not giving enough space for the team to grow and make their own mistakes. So giving the team their own space and autonomy to do that was sort of a key learning for me. So taking a step back, identifying the right problems was one of the key things that I changed in my approach. And then also the regular reflection. So I tend to reflect sort of on a weekly basis of what, what key outcomes I achieved for this week. Did I make an impact on the ones that I wanted to make an impact? What is holding me back versus what I could have delegated or shared beforehand? Did I set the right expectations with my stakeholders? Did I achieve them? So that reflection piece also plays into how you can plan your week or month then in advance as well. And then I would say in the end, be kind to yourself. This is this is very hard. This is not an easy thing to do. Let being an expert or a master or very skilled person in one dimension is hard. Being across multiple areas and being responsible for multiple deliverables across different dimensions is challenging in itself. So, and sometimes you will drop the ball. So, pick yourself up, build that resilience, uh, take the lesson, and then adapt, evolve with the, with the scenarios. So, if I follow these principles that has got me so far through this challenge. And I hope if people follow some of it, try and arrow whatever works for them, they will definitely get some value out of it. Do you guys have any questions for Emma? No, absolutely. I just want to echo the statement. It reminds me, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling here. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, uh, someone recently and they talk about, you know, I worked with that CEO, I worked with that that very senior le leader in the organization and these guys have got things under control. Uh, they get time to uh, read before the meeting. They're always on the top of the game. They have more and bigger responsibilities and blah, blah, blah. They said, if they have worked it out, then I should be able to work it out too. And that was a conversation. And uh, those, uh, my friends know me, I always try to bring a cognitive dissonance. If I borrow from Pete, I try to bring a different aspect of the same thing. I said, no, because they have nailed that down is why they are at that role. It's not that they role they have nailed it down. They have yeah. nailed it down. That's why they've grown to that role. And and it it helps. And uh, to to your uh, comment, Amar, uh, the, the opposite thought I would say is, also from a vocabulary perspective, uh, one thing which I'm trying to do is from our uh, leadership as a vocabulary, we always talk about strategic versus tactical, Correct. seeming like these are two opposite. Mm. And I'm trying to ask my team, the tactical is a way to strategic outcome. So mm. they are both together. They are not against each other. Mm. Similarly, people talk about security or the governance slows things down versus agile or, or going at speed. It's, no, governance is the way to go at speed. And uh, when people challenge it, I've got this favorite example. The lanes on a highway are the guardrails. Mm. If you take them off, the traffic will slow down. So taking constraints off does not make things go faster. Those constraints are there for you to go faster. So from that lens perspective, any policy, any procedures, any any controls, and talking to our stakeholders why this particular aspect of technology takes longer is where to provide how does this longer is actually faster in the longer run. Got it. So from a vocabulary perspective, while I have the microphone, the last one is, I call it as a coach is the one who's leader as a coach, brings those guardrails, and leader as a captain, drives on those roads within those lanes. So you keep on switching between, is you, are you playing the role as a 
captain, which is you're on the field with the team. And to Amar, your point, when do you take a step back Correct. and say, okay, now I'm a coach. I'm not playing the game. You're playing the game. And I'll, I will accept the results, which is which you yeah. mentioned about letting them do their own mistakes. So, you uh, don't agree more, except the, I, I want to say, it's easy. And the governance is to speed things up. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't agree more. Uh, it's You can go faster, but you can also have safer releases to production as well. As long as you have the right cartridges and the space in between them to innovate and try out what works for you. Yeah, and look, I'm smiling here as well because uh, you know running fast with scissors is what I've been telling my teams over the years. It's, it's actually perfectly okay. Yeah, as long as you know you've got scissors in your hand, and that's and if you fall over or trip up or make a mistake, um, it's how you get up. But make sure you hold the scissors in the right direction when you're running with them, right? So, so it is possible to be agile and adaptive, um, creative, and creating a culture of innovation um, because that can also help to create a high-performing team. And, and Amal, you commented earlier around people making mistakes. Um, I learned this lesson a long time ago where I said that with this one really high-performing individual who was amazing off the charts. And I said to him, I'm, I'm sensing you are afraid to make a decision. That's why you uh, so fail, mm. make a decision around because you might get it wrong. Um, so you're overcompensating by asking all these questions and over-engineering over what the solution could look like. Um, I give you permission to fail. And that kind of really hit home because he went, it's okay. I'm like, yeah, totally. And, and I've taken that to all of my other customer conversations and, you know, running my own teams over the years. If you give the team permission to fail, it's okay. And it's funny how when you enter a company or an organization or have a team that's actually afraid to make mistakes, how much more difficult it is to get amazing high performance out of them because they're all hypersensitive and they all think that if they make a mistake, they're going to get fired. And when you think about learning and you said something really important, Mark, because I do this as well, it's like, if there's pain and reflection, there's usually learning. Mm. If you do not have any pain, that's why, you know, it's interesting how, you know, we all raise children, right? Because there's this talk about let's never, you know, give our children any pain. And I, I'm a bit against it because you got to have some kind of emotional, psychological, maybe even physical pain as a result of some of your actions, right? You know, you smack the dog, the dog bites you. Well, that's a great reinforcement learning example of, you know, you're not going to do that again, right? But, um, that's how you learn, you, you know, don't touch the hot stove, you know, all those things are, you know, similar examples of, you know, you got to innovate, you got to make mistakes. Um, and, you know, the guardrails on the freeway, absolutely. Uh, you, you, you need some kind of opinionated framework, you know, your leadership style or how the company's culture operates. That's another guardrail um, to get your team to, to propel into, you know, hopefully that you know, attained their career aspirations. But if you did the right job, you can actually get them to exceed those. Um, so I think it's here. Yeah, that permission to, to fail, um, your comments, absolutely bang on. Well, that, that frees up. Like, tomorrow is a Friday. Generally, in some companies, I've seen no deployment on a Friday. I'm like, the, your confidence in not trying to deploy on a Friday is a symptom that you're not confident in your own releases yourself, which means there's a lot of work we need to unpack or something to unpack there as to what we could do to free that fear up. It's okay to deploy. Murphy's Law, things will play in fail, right? How do you plan for failure? What is the resiliency? What is your uh, rollback plan, right? As long as you are prepared for it, if you have a gradual degradation, these are the con concerns I'm sure Navdeep comes to you all the time when you're planning for system failure, right? So yeah. as long as you've got these ready, 
you are free from that fear of I need to test 100 scenarios around this change. No, as long as you could monitor in real time and quickly roll back and you could have split traffic kind of deployment, you could recover from these kind of failures. So having that support system for people really frees them up as well as to, okay, I can fail. It's okay. I will recover from it. Yeah, no, I agree. And look, this is always hitting on the Dora metrics, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mid time to, to recovery. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I think if you lean into anything that scares you, you're going to learn a lot more because there's, mm. there's that pain, right? Even though it's not physical, it's psychological, the fear of fear. Uh, yeah. It's going to make you reflect. But uh, yeah, I think deploy anytime you like it should be the mantra, right? And do it yeah. continuously um, and keep doing it until uh, the pain goes away, which is almost the same mantra you could give to someone who's going to run a marathon. If you start small and then build up to the uh, the massive marathon, you'll be fine. Just keep practicing. I do have a question. If Amar, you mentioned, and Pete, you also mentioned the EQ part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was about to say it's it's it, it's a it's a billion dollar question in the industry. If 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 there's a way to learn that one, are there anything you either either one of you or even Fraser to to share on one how to build it ourselves and even more important, how does it become a teachable skill mm. in terms of help someone to take that forward? Because another job we have is as a leaders is to grow more leaders. And I, I'll I don't know answers I'm asking. asking. I'll try. I'll try and have a crack at it. I believe it is very much a teachable skill and, and some things anyone can learn. For me, the key ingredient for emotional intelligence and emotional question is empathy. As long as you are able to empathize with your employee, your subordinate, your peer, your stakeholder, your end user, you will be able to put yourself in their shoes, understand their perspective. You will definitely be able to see the world from their point of view. And then you can come at the same ground level and then help them out as to what do I need to do to make this better for you, right? So cultivate empathy, try and always look from their point of view. As long as you're doing that, you will naturally start building a profile in your mind as to this is what this person is feeling. This is what my colleague is feeling. This is what I need to do to support him. So without that, it is super hard to then uh, align with them. And without alignment, even though you will try with your best interest, it might not land well, or it might not look as or feel as genuine as you intend it to be. So from my point of view, empathy is the ingredient for that. Yeah, and look, from my perspective, uh, look, empathy is a good indicator of EQ. But I look at EQ as um, everyone's got EQ. Uh, the question is, if EQ was a battery, do you have like a little tiny, small, you know, CR32 that goes in your watch? Or have you got like a, you know, a boat-sized, you know, anchor-sized battery? Um, because if you think about it, um, empathy and EQ does tend to get drained. Right? The environment will have a drain, the level of personal stress or the workload. Um, and I've seen some amazing people who are, have a huge EQ um, perform as if they had zero EQ when under stress. Um, so knowing your team and how that needle fluctuates between fully charged versus empty, um, is your team getting to empty? Because if, if they are, then you know the team EQ is going to drop collectively. Um, they're going to be less empathetic. They'll care less about each other. They'll become more transactional. And that actually scales to, I would say, to entire businesses. You know, do you have high EQ? And I used to tell people when I used to hire, I, I go like, well, how do you hire a happy person? Mm-hmm. You go into a, I'm not sure about these days, but, you know, in the height of the Baker's Delight, 
you know, franchise. I used to love walking to Baker's Delight because everybody was so damn happy. You know, would you like another bun? Would you want to, you know, something sweet with that? Um, and, um, you know, it's harder to hire people who are happy. So, so there are certain elements, I think, that are innate to some people more than others. So the battery size, I would say, is the case. Um, you know, trust is something that's that's it's another interesting one because trust makes you, it's, it's the guardrail, right, to some extent. I trust you or this company you want to trust, you just do it. But if you start, stop trusting each other, which can also go hand in hand with, you know, low levels of EQ, you know, you didn't hit the number this quarter and the trust level erodes, you start to realize that EQ disappears, empathy disappears, and all of a sudden you got empty holes with lots of people who are very disillusioned with where the company's going or perhaps not even happy with the job. So as managers and leaders, you know, it's about how do you recharge your batteries, whether it's leave, whether it's a pat on the back, you know, Deep, you mentioned about, you know, the employee recognition, all those are just, I look at it as, you know, you know, plugging into the grid um, and charging your, 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 your team or your own, in fact, EQ and uh, battery levels. I think, Pete, what you touched from the size of the battery, what immediately jumped to me is intrinsic motivation. And oh yeah, that is that is one of the key things which varies from people to people. So some are by by nature more interestingly motivated compared to others. Others need a little bit of more direction, a little bit of push, a little bit of encouragement. And some are like, oh, give me the task and I'll I'll jump at it. And they're always excited by the next challenge and the next one. And even identifying which one needs what is emotional intelligence in itself. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Now, did you uh, your question, do you think? Uh, partially, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll say what uh, Amayan, you mentioned about, uh, I, I call that as a situational leadership. Like with one person, you'll say, give them the task and get out of the way. Then another one needs a direction. Another one needs a, a regular check-in on every milestone. Yes, that's a situational leadership. Yeah. What I was thinking about in my head was uh, sometimes you end up working with really, really, really smart people. And because they drive at a speed, um, they don't have time to look at their blind spots. Hmm. And that's where they, they, they end up crashing. So t- telling these smart people to build that, uh, the EQ part, because someone is able to see things too far down the line. Yep. And I've, I, 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 I'll be honest, confession time here. I've had yep. that feedback that, uh, you are thinking too far ahead and you're not taking people along the journey. And in my head, I was thinking, that's obvious. Like, that's obvious. It's, it's yeah. right in front of my eyes, but you have to take people on the journey. Got it. And, and and that is where the EQ does come into picture. Mm. I think I'm building that thing a little bit subconsciously rather than step-by-step process. Yeah. Uh, but it's easier from a reflection perspective. I think that you mentioned I took your code. If there's a pain in reflection, there's learning. I love that one. I'm going to use it. Uh, but how do you bring that one to certain team members on what do you suggest? What do you direct them in terms of building that one? Yes, yes, you might be right, but you being right does not mean the other one is wrong. So, and, and bringing that journey so that you both are looking at the same right is, is where sometimes I find that part is challenging to have people build that up. Like, is that self-awareness? you are slightly like pointing towards because sometimes it is very clear to you as you just mentioned right but for others it is obviously so obscure that they could not even visualize what you're trying to see or the 
yeah, the disaster ahead, the road, you you are so scared of it and they're like, oh, no, we'll be fine. We've been doing this same thing over and over every year, all day, every day. And, and you are scared to that. And, and that is first understanding a group, but also in terms of inculcating that to someone else, I think self-awareness for me jumps out very quickly. So in my team, if I've built the culture of self-awareness that everyone will have blind spots. I have all the time, right? And and to to one of your original point as to I do not have answers for everything, which means yeah. I'm not the smartest person in the room, and that's by design. I don't want to be. I'm the best facilitator in the room. I will always guide towards the best decision, but I do not want to be the smartest person in the room. But whoever is also should not feel that their decision is the best one, because our end goal is everyone contributes to what is there on the table, and finally we arrived at the best amalgamation of the ideas that takes us closest to the goal. I'll give you another one, um, maybe um, a midpoint perhaps, right? Do you want to be right or do you, just, or do you want peace? <laughs> so sometimes choosing the peace option is perhaps a better option, right? Because, and that's to your point, Amar, if everyone feels that they've contributed, they've added their bit, um, I would look at that as that's another dimension of peace. Correct. Because everyone's painted the wagon One's got the wheel, one's got, you know, the seat or what have you. Everyone's built part of this final solution. It may not be the best, you know, the most engineering, um, you know, highly scalable, reliable, but man, it does the job. It's a billy cart, right? It's not a car. Um, sometimes that billy cart experience can be, you know, far more valuable because it'll build a much more cohesive team. They all felt like they had ownership of something. Um, and as you were building that, um, job-centric feedback I think it's, again, coming back to that, you know, how do we get better? Like, we're all on a journey. We're still, even though we're exploiting certain things, we're still exploring a lot, especially ourselves. Um, and that self-reflection, um, you can miss stuff, right? But if someone says, hey, by the way, that meeting we just went to, um, you could have said this differently. Um, you go, okay, cool. Um, but if you don't have a habit of that in your organization to provide feedback, if you've got that organizational fear I mentioned earlier of failure and, you know, getting fired for it, um, you know, that's, that's kind of scary. And um, yeah, look, I look at it as an investment. The more you fail, the more you learn. As long as you're actually learning from it, good on you. I'm just, I just got my employee a PhD in how to not to do something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And look, I think I can speak for everyone listening uh, when I say that one of the major roles or facets that shines through with all three of you is uh, that, that culture leader and that sort of ability to not just sort of keep everything moving in the, in the right direction, but keep everyone happy moving in the right direction and understanding that everyone potentially has, I guess, different goals and, and different places that they want to end up. That's going to be along the highway that you guys have been talking about. But you know, some people want to get to the end of this particular project and other people want to get to the end of the year and, and other things like that. And it's just understanding and being able to work with people to achieve what they need to achieve while the company is obviously achieving what the company needs to achieve. So look, uh, I, I think... For me, uh, unfortunately, that, that's as much time as we've got, uh, as we have time for. So, uh, and I want to thank you all for, for jumping on and talking with us today and sharing your, your insights and your experience. And I know you've given me uh, probably more to think about than I probably wanted to when I internalize a lot of the discussions that you guys have been having. But uh, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the, uh, the Evolution Exchange and sharing all that with us. Mm -hmm.